Bob introduced that series, that theme that we will that will take us through the season of Lent. It's Christ's love compels us. Over the next few weeks, we're going to return to this theme, Christ's love. And we're going to discuss the implications of, of that love on our life and on the community that we make around us. Today, we are focusing on how Christ's love compels us to live for him on mission. Let's turn again to our focal passage, which is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 20, uh, to recall Paul's words for us. Paul says, For Christ's love compels, compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not, count, not counting his people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is the word of the Lord. For Paul and for us, Christ's love, Christ's compelling love is a game changer, an overwhelming and reorienting change in our lives that makes everything moving forward new and different. We no longer see and respond to life in the same way as we did prior to knowing Jesus' love. Paul's own witness speaks to this in the Damascus Road experience. He, a persecutor of the early Christian movement, is struck blind by an encounter with Christ that leads him to become an advocate for the very cause he so strongly opposed. In doing so, he becomes an ambassador for Christ. While we so often hear dramatic stories of conversions like Paul's, I'm guessing that most of our stories of conversion and faith are not like his. I know mine isn't. I think for most of us, our transformation reflects a slower, incremental change as we learn about and encounter Christ's love lived out in tangible ways before us and around us. Christ's compelling love should have this effect on us. After following in Christ's footsteps as his disciples for some time, we should be able to look back and recognize that over the long haul, God has reoriented our life, our values, and our desires to more reflect Jesus's. Over time, our values become more in line with God's desire for his creation. Now, Paul describes this process earlier in 2 Corinthians. In chapter 3, Paul recalls how Moses' face, when he met God on Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments and other instructions for the people of Israel, 
how it glowed from the effects of God's glory. It so glowed that Moses had to wear a veil over his face so that he could come in contact with the people once he came down from the mountain. And he had to wear this veil over his face until the glory of God eventually wore off. Now because of Christ's sacrifice for us, Paul argues in 2 Corinthians that we now have the same access to Moses, I mean to God, as Moses did. We have the same access to God. But not temporarily on a permanent basis. God's gift of the Holy Spirit allows us to reflect God's holy glow. But we don't have to cover our faces with a veil. Instead, as we learn to wear this glow in our everyday life, we will be transformed. And Paul indicates here that this transformation is a process. But we will be transformed to be more like God's son, Jesus. I like the way that the Jerusalem Bible, a, a more scholarly Bible, translates 2 Corinthians chapter 3, one of the verses there, in this way. I think it's really instructive. It says, And we, with our unveiled faces, reflecting like mirrors the brightness of the Lord, all grow brighter and brighter as we are turned into the image that we reflect. See, the more we look at Jesus, the more we walk with Jesus, the more we spend time with Jesus, we know Jesus, naturally, the more we're going to look like Jesus, and we will reflect who Jesus is. The more we do this, the more we begin to live into our mission, which Paul tells us in chapter 4 is to shine out in darkness the reality of the gospel of Jesus. So our mission is to bear Jesus' image to the world. According to Paul, every, Christ, every Christian's mission is to do this, to bear Christ's image to the world. But not just to the world. Think of it this way, to the circles of influence that you, that you hold. In order to correctly bear Christ's image, Paul says Christians can no longer regard others from a worldly point of view. God's Spirit, working in us, creates something new in us. Part of that newness is our way of seeing and relating to the world. Christians see and understand the happenings around us in light of what Luke and Matthew call God's kingdom. In God's kingdom, God is the singular authority, and God's action through Jesus gets the last word. That is, all are welcome. All can be reconciled to God because of the selfless act of Jesus. But not every action is welcome in God's kingdom. If you just pay attention to the Beatitudes in Matthew or many of the parables, you'll realize and recognize that the self-promoting that leads to marginalizing, objectifying, and stepping on other citizens in God's kingdom is not permissible. Such selfish thinking creates divisions among God's people and it breaks God's heart. If it breaks God's heart, it should break our heart too. Before going further, I think it's worth repeating. This reorienting process I'm describing, it, it rarely happens in a day or a week, a month or even a year. It's a lifelong process. It's a discipleship process that the Holy Spirit presides over. So that as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, 
over time we are able to more fully put on the mind of Christ. Christ's mindset creates in us God's desire so that God's mission, God's purpose in the world becomes our mission and our purpose. And Paul says God's mission is about reconciling the world to him. So no wonder God's people are uneasy with sin. Sin separates us from one another and from God and our ability to embody God's purposes. No wonder we feel a visceral desire to stand up for justice, to proclaim good news, to welcome the strangers, to feed the hungry, to care for the weak, and to even love our enemies. Each time we open our lives to the love of God and we are willing to walk humbly with God, our compulsion to act grows stronger. In other words, as Bob told us last week, when we see a need or we see a situation that is not congruent with God's kingdom, we cannot not do something. We are compelled to love. Okay, so through the example of Jesus and the working of the Holy Spirit, God is bringing about a new creation in me and in you and ultimately in all of us. Paul commends us to be Christ's ambassadors. We are now God's tangible evidence for reconciliation and hope for something new. It's our mission. So how do we do it? You know, mission can be such a big idea. How do we get our minds around it? What do we do? What does it mean to carry out God's mission of reconciliation among all creation? Well, over the years, churches have posed many questions to try to figure out how do churches or how do individuals go about carrying out God's mission. And they've asked things like this. In order to participate in God's mission, do we equip specially called and trained professionals to proclaim the gospel? Does the laity, does the laity give their money in order to support these professionals and that is their way of participating in God's mission? Or do we seek out and participate in church-sponsored short-term mission trips and experiences? All of these are legitimate and have been legitimate ways of supporting God's mission. The fact that the Southern Hemisphere is the fastest-growing area of Christianity reveals that missionaries have certainly not labored in vain. But what I want to argue to you is that these three options are second-best when it comes to you individually especially if this is the only way we understand what mission looks like. Because when you look at the first two options, it keeps God's mission at a distance from most of the church. What I hear Paul saying in our scripture today and what Jesus' life bears out is that each of us must become vulnerable, investing our lives in others in order to show and share God's love building relationships with other people, and this should include people who are different than us, who are not like us, is both messy, it's difficult, but it can also be beautiful. It's following in the incarnational example of Jesus. John's gospel captures incarnational ministry when he describes God as putting on flesh, and as Eugene Peterson says in the message, moving into the neighborhood taking up residence, being present to the people you're called to minister to. Incarnational ministry is, a, is not a one-time dip your toe 
in the water in a step away activity. No, it's a dive into the deep end of relationship with others because that's how God's love moves from an idea to a tangible reality. People don't respond to ideas. They respond to something they can identify with, that they can see and feel and know. So Paul's claim that we are ambassadors for Christ is another way of saying our mission as Christ's disciples is to embody the good news for others so that they just don't know it, but they are able to experience it. Just as God put on flesh and bone and moved into the neighborhood, our calling is the same. Except that most of us already live in our mission field. There are folks around us that we have built-in relationships with in our neighborhoods, in our offices, at the gym, on the playground. In these ongoing relationships, it is often the little things that can speak the loudest. How we treat one another, how we look after one another, the sacrifices that we make at our work or in our neighborhood to serve one another is often the way our neighbors can link the claims of Christianity to its reality. Such acts of, unkind, of kindness is the compelling witness that makes the world take notice and ask, why do you do this? It's the everyday, ordinary acts of giving oneself away that creates light shining in the darkness and offers hope that God is, in fact, here. It gives us the authority to speak directly to the good news of Jesus. Well, let me offer a couple of examples of how this might work. Last week, after hearing Bob's sermon on how Christ's love compels us, and after further fleshing this concept out in the young adult Sunday school class, Stephen Taman was compelled to do something. He was compelled to do something for a neighbor who just the night before lost their house and all their belongings in a fire. In sharing with his class on their Facebook page, he wrote, The love of Christ compels me. After seeing the remnants of my neighbor's home after Bible study this morning, I could not not do something. I asked folks on our community webpage to stop by my house with cash or gift cards for me to deliver to the family tonight. I am in awe. Over $1,000 in folks continue stopping by. Our God is an awesome God. As Stephen just told me this morning, people are still coming by and offering gifts. Stephen saw that his mission was right in front of him. He was, aw he was an awa aware of an opportunity to serve a neighbor, and he led his community in caring for the family together. Later in the week, in response to the generosity, the neighbor wrote the community thanking them. In part, the neighbor said, words cannot express the gratitude I feel for the monetary gifts, the gift cards, clothes, food, and toys for my son. We are so very humbled by your generosity, and thank God that we live in such a wonderful community. So our mission is near us. God is at work among the people we encounter day in and day out. But what about those people we don't know? Those strangers we don't share our daily lives with. Yet we share our schools with them, our roads, and our sidewalks. Those people who dress differently than us, hold different values, who look different than we do, and those who we even disagree with. If we are to be Christ's ambassadors, what does our mission to those people who are different than us look like? Well, I was struck by a brief article I came across last fall in the Baptist World Alliance magazine. 
It told of how the youth at Nazareth Baptist Church. Now, this isn't Nazareth, Pennsylvania. I'm talking about Nazareth, Israel. You know where Jesus was born? His hometown? Born in Bethlehem, but that was his hometown. How this youth group was looking for a way to reach out to the community they live in. They knew that in order for their outreach to be genuine and accepted, they need to begin showing interest in the needs of the people around them. Now, Nazareth is in northern Israel, and of course, Israel is predominantly Jewish. But Nazareth, the majority of the people who live there are Muslim. It's about 70% Muslim, and the rest of them are Christians. Last year, during the month of June, it was the month of Ramadan, and Ramadan is one of uh, Muslims' most important observances. During the month of Ramadan, Muslims fast from sunup to sundown. So these Baptist youth decided to show the love of Christ in a creative way to those who were fasting. After sunset, as Muslims were rushing home after a long day of work and fasting in the hot summer uh, sun and heat, the youth were waiting for them with cool bottles of water and sweet treats. The gesture was very well received by the Muslim community, and a video of the distribution went viral on social media. In fact, you can take a look at it now. very happy today to give away um, water and just some something sweet for um, the Muslim feast for Ramadan when the fast breaks so everybody who's in their cars and stuck in the street can um, enjoy themselves and um, and we're, we're doing that to show the love of Christ people saw these Christian youths act as of kindness as one more step toward building trust between Christians and Muslims in Nazareth. Talk about an act of reconciliation. It was an act that brought them one step closer to reflecting what God's kingdom is all about. Paul's hope in writing the, Christ, the Corinthians is to remind them that their mission as God's new creation in Christ is to reflect what is really real. Their allegiance no longer belonged to an emperor or to gaining power and prestige. Rather, they belonged in a whole different kingdom, one where a man who denied himself and served others and carried the guilt of humanity to the cross reigns as king. It is God's upside-down kingdom in which we serve as ambassadors, and our mission is to reflect God's upside-down values to a world that will take notice. If for nothing else than because of its peculiarness, and because it's a message that resonates deeply in the hearts of all God's creation. God so loved the world that he put on flesh and bone and took up residence with us. So is Jesus still here with us today? John says Jesus was the true light that gives light to the world, but the world did not recognize him. Yet to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be the children of God. 
Look around this room today. Do you recognize it? Do you see it? We are the light bearers among a dark world in 2017. We are Christ's image bearers. Amen.